Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York voters will likely end up going to the polls three times this year now that the state's highest court has thrown out new district lines for congressional and state Senate seats, likely delaying primaries originally scheduled for June. More now from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. When the Court of Appeals struck down the Congressional and State Senate district lines, saying Democrats who drew them unfairly gerrymandered, it guaranteed that the June 28th primary elections for those seats would be delayed until later in the summer. In a statement, the State Board of Elections says its staff is ready to quickly develop a new political calendar for an August primary. The board says there's no reason, though, to delay the primary for statewide offices, including for governor and lieutenant governor. And the state assembly primaries will also take place in June as scheduled. The general election will be held in November. All three elections will also include an early voting period as well. Republican State Party Chair Nick Langworthy backs the court's decision. He believes that the new maps to be drawn by a court-appointed special master will be fairer to the GOP. But he concedes there might be some glitches. I understand that this is going to be a bit chaotic as we try to navigate the impact in the steps forward. The GOP chair says any inconvenience or confusion, though, is the fault of the Democrats responsible for the lines, including Governor Kathy Hochul, Attorney General Tish James, Senate Leader Andrea Stork-Cousins, and Deputy Majority Leader Mike Gianaris. This chaos lies squarely with Kathy Hochul, Letitia James, Andrea Stork-Cousins, Senator Mike Gennaris in every legislator that voted for these illegal maps. Candidates for the congressional and state Senate primaries will have to undertake a new round of collecting signatures for another petitioning process once the new lines are finalized. Langworthy says candidates will face new challenges in a period of uncertainty. Some people might find themselves without a seat to run for. That's another uh, dynamic. I mean, perhaps some people that made announcements will reconsider those announcements and get back in races that they had opted The state's left-leaning Working Families Party, which has endorsed over 50 Senate and congressional candidates running in the primary, expressed concern about moving the date to August, when turnout will likely be much lower, saying the court's decision will lead to voter confusion and disruption to the electoral process. Governor Hochul, speaking with reporters after an event in Yonkers Thursday, tried to downplay the controversy, saying that the court ruling was not unexpected, and the judicial branch often has a different interpretation of matters than does the legislature. We are still processing this case just came down. There's time to look at all the options find out what's best for the voters, and then I'll be really looking forward to sharing that with the media. Hochul could not confirm that there actually would be two separate primaries, saying the situation is fluid. But she promised that she and election officials would soon present a clear path forward for elections. 
Before any new date for a primary election can be set, the court-appointed special master has to create the new district lines first. A hearing will be held on May 6th at the Steuben County Courthouse in Bath. The proposed lines need to be completed by May 16th, and those who disagree with the new lines will have two days to submit written comments. Democrats in the state Senate who object to the court's decision have already said they plan to make their case to the special master. The whole process will have to be finished by May 20th. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette, political observer Alan Chartalk. Alan, well, New York's highest court struck down the state's new district lines for Congress and the state Senate, throwing the June 28th primary into question. In fact, New York voters will likely end up going to the polls three times this year, according to our Karen DeWitt. Now that the lines have been thrown out and the task of redrawing those congressional district maps has fallen to a rural judge and a researcher at Carnegie Mellon University, your thoughts as the latest court decision rumples things for the Democrats? Well, you know, I've been thinking and talking about this for quite a while now. It seems like quite a while. The courts in New York State did the right thing. No question. You cannot pass a law saying no gerrymandering and then look the other way and say, okay, you can gerrymander your hearts out. No, the people in New York spoke. But of course, it leads, as I have said before, to a certain amount of inequity, meaning there will be those who think that from now on, New York will have to do the right thing while a good deal of the rest of the country does the wrong thing and gerrymanders away. If those red states, if those Republicans continue to do that, and New York says, okay, we're going to be proper and we're not going to do the wrong thing here, it leads us all to wonder what kind of a country we are having. And if New York State continues to do the right thing, you've got you've got to give the judges and the people who are making those decisions a huge round of applause because they are sticking to what's right. On the other hand, what they're doing is they're permitting the enemies of democracy, the enemies of decent government to prevail. And that's not good. Yeah. I mean, is it a wonder that people are cynical and many say my vote doesn't matter? Well, if you're voting in New York State and in Oklahoma they're behaving badly, you got your answer. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the governor's race for sure. a moment. You spoke with Tom Swazi, one of the Democrats running against Kathy Hochul in the contest. And early on, it seemed like Hochul should breeze right in. But mm-hmm. he cited to you the latest Siena College poll where only 36 percent of voters have a positive opinion of her performance. 63 percent disapprove of the Buffalo Bills stadium deal. And 69 percent of voters give her poor marks on crime. Worse yet, 45% of voters say they would vote for someone else on election day. So suddenly you have to take it off cruise control for Governor Hochul. Well, that's right. Look, this isn't going to be easy. We knew from the beginning that she came from a part of the state where New York doesn't elect its governors and maybe lieutenant governors. This is sort of a symbolic thing that they count, and that's how she got to be governor. Let's face it. On the other hand, she has done a credible job, and she is, of course, the presumptive favorite. 
because even though Tom Swasey is extremely vehement in his criticisms of her, it ain't showing yet, like in a head-to-head horse race, who's going to win? In other words, if you say Swasey or she, she still wins, at least up to now she has. It may very well be close, but I'll tell you one thing. I spoke to Swazi, and he really is going for it. With everything he's got, every fiber in his intellect, his body, he is extraordinarily critical of her, of Hochul, and it may pay dividends. You know, I've always said, and I said from the beginning, and you will remember this, David, which is New Yorkers don't take their politics seriously until about Labor Day. And little by little now, we're beginning to see the formation of opinions on the parts of New York's voters. Yeah, it is interesting. And, you know, he was, Swazi, that is, was saying, I'm a centrist. I'm in the center. And he was sort of trying to box in Hochul. And, of course, her now former lieutenant governor, Benjamin, is being liberal and not, for example, tough on crime, which is exactly what the Republicans are saying. And yet, if you look at Hochul, she's as much of a centrist in many ways as Swazi. Yeah, she is, and they have all staked out the middle because they know the middle is where the voters are in New York State, and that they can win a primary that way. Swazi has a lot going for him. You know, he's out from a different part of the state where Democratic voters proliferate, and yet he hasn't moved the needle the way that he needs to in order to defeat an incumbent. The establishment, the Hochul establishment group, the people who support her, is immense. And when I've said anything critical, boy, have I heard about it. So it is a place we're going to have to watch because candidates from the Buffalo side of the state don't tend to win elections. And in the beginning, it looked like we were going to have a change and that that attitude would change. But slowly but surely, as we get closer to elections, you're seeing the vehemence of a Swazi and how he is going after Oka with everything he has becoming all important. Yeah, and then there's this, at least for me, a head-scratcher, I don't know about you, Alan, but the fact that the legislature, all Democrats and the governor, could change the election law to allow Kathy Hochul to remove former Lieutenant Governor Benjamin from the ballot, and it looks like, especially the Senate, Stuart Cousins, don't want to do that. And I've been scratching my head on that one, David, and I don't really know. Look, it makes sense to get rid of the guy. He's been indicted, the lieutenant governor. But for some reason, there are those who just don't want to let that happen. Maybe they're projecting, as in the mechanism of projection, as I remember, psychology class you put onto the other guy, attitudes. I think, in fact, they are not going to make it easy for her to remove this lieutenant governor who authorities are thinking is a criminal. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Chartok.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York Governor Kathy Hochul was at Nova Bus in Plattsburgh this week, touting the new state budget and what she says are its benefits for the North Country region. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley was there and filed this report. Governor Hochul walked through each section of the $220 billion budget, noting overall state spending and how much would be available for the North Country. The Democrat discussed investments in health care, transportation, education, tax cuts, workforce assistance and housing assistance, clean energy, and safety. This is a budget that meets the needs of New Yorkers. We are still in this almost post-pandemic world where there's a lot of people that are still hurting. So our budget made sure that middle-class families will have more back in their pockets with tax cuts and property tax relief and a cut in the sales tax for gas. So I focused, our budget focused on helping people as well as investing in education and health care and child care, as well as finally making sure that we have money set aside for a rainy day. We'll have the highest amount of state reserves available for any future emergencies that we've had in the history of the state, I believe. So we're very socially responsible taking care of our families and our small businesses, but also making sure we have money in reserves. So it's a very responsible budget. Hochul said there are some budget areas unique to the region, such as money to help Orta prepare for the 2023 World University Games in Lake Placid that start January 12th. It's going to have a profound region-wide impact, not just in Lake Placid and Gore and Whiteface, but right here, the hotels and restaurants. So get ready. And also, we have to continue investing in Orta as well. I mean, it's not in the neighborhood per se, but it is the region that has to thrive. So we're putting an additional $105 million in new capital funding to make the enhancements uh, and, and all the different facilities to make sure that they're world class. North Country Chamber President Gary Douglas noted that when Hochul became governor, they presented her with a list of the region's priorities. We said, let's close the remaining gaps in broadband. We have more than a billion dollar investment in broadband this year. We need major new state support for childcare. We have it. We said we need to fix the way our community colleges are funded, including the tuition assistance program, so it supports part-time study and things like apprenticeships and credentialing. She proposed that, and it now is the law of the land. We said that we need support, we need understanding in terms of our transportation equipment and aerospace cluster, its role in the entire green economic agenda, and we have some real opportunities ahead. Governor Hochul says the state's new budget, which was passed a week late, includes a 15 percent reserve fund, significantly above the previous 4 percent reserve. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. New York U.S. Senator Charles Schumer was in Schenectady this week to announce the region's first gateway mobility hub to be built downtown. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas explains. The former site of the Trailways bus station is poised to become a transportation hub, linking downtown Schenectady with Albany, Troy, and Montgomery County. Schumer, the Democratic Senate Majority Leader, says the hub will provide access to 10 transit routes, host CDTA's new Drive Car Share Initiative, CDPHP's Cycle Bike Sharing Program, and CDTA's Scoot 
Scooter service. It's a one-stop shop for riders and all resident transportation needs. It's going to revolutionize how people move in the region. It's going to accelerate our economic recovery. It's going to pave the way for a brighter future here in the capital region. It means better transportation access, improving access to other transit programs like bikes, scooters, and more. And I'm going to say it out loud so they can hear it. It's going to move CDTA service to Montgomery County. You hear that? Amsterdam. Schenectady County Legislator Gary Hughes says after setbacks experienced during the pandemic, it's time to move forward. Well, we made it through those trying times and we're on a path to build back better. And when Democrats talk about building back better, I can't think of a single better example of that than the partnership that got us here today. Our, our team from Metroplex, our unified economic development team, demolished what was arguably one of the worst looking bus stations anywhere in upstate New York, possibly in the nation. Our partners at CDTA, conceptualized, conceived, developed a real cutting-edge multimodal transit hub. Schumer says federal funding will cover 80% of the $5 million project, which will include bus bays, heated sidewalks, charging spaces for four electric vehicles, and bike and scooter racks. The rest of the funding is coming from CDTA. CEO Karm Basile says the hub plan is on a fast track. Actually going out to bid within a couple of weeks and you know, we'll see what the construction season looks like, but we're anticipating early 23 to have it open. Wow, that's fast. Keep your fingers crossed. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York state was one of 17 states that lost population in 2021, and the pace of population growth nationally was five times slower last year than over the preceding decade. Those are just some of the highlights of a new analysis by Pew, which finds New York state led the nation in population decline. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus sat down with Joanna Bernacca-Livestro, who wrote the analysis. Overall, we analyzed how fast or slow state populations grew over the decade and over the past year. And we found that overall population keeps slowing in the U.S. And there are three findings in particular that I think stand out. The first one is that nationally, the pace of population growth in 2021 was five times slower than over the preceding decade. It's notable because growth in the 2010s was already the slowest since the Great Depression. The second finding, which is what you uh, paid attention to, is that 17 states actually lost residents in 2021. And the third one is population decline was the greatest in New York State over the year. I should note that New York's population loss was down 1.6 percent. So that was nearly double any of the other states that you looked at. Yes, that New York stands out. But, you know, it's also important to look at to look at, um, you know, to look at it in perspective of the long term growth in New York, because over the long term, the pace of population growth 
in New York was on the slower side when compared to other states, but New York was growing. But in 2021, New York was one of the 17 states that lost residents. And it, the, the, the population loss was the greatest in New York, both in terms of the actual number of people and in terms of growth rates. And it is concerning because we know that shrinking or slow-growing population can affect states' economic and fiscal conditions. How so? Well, we know that population trends are tied to state finances. So let's start with what happens when there are more people in a state. More people usually means that there are more workers and consumers that add to economic activity because they buy goods and services. Uh, There are also more employers, people are taking jobs and so on. And it all generates more tax revenue for the state. Now, on the other hand, more people also means higher demand for public services like infrastructure, education, healthcare, and so on. And that can result in spending pressures for some states. So now let's focus on what happens when there are fewer people in the state. That can generally lead to less economic activity and shrinking tax bases. And in turn, that can limit state revenue collections. And yes, to counter my previous point, um, smaller population could result in a reduction in some types of state spending. But it also means that there are fewer residents to help cover the cost of long-term commitments. So we're thinking about things like state debt, state employee retirement benefits, including pensions and retiree health care. And there's one last thought very briefly. Um, We shouldn't forget that population also plays a role in how much states receive from some federal funds. So it really has uh, significant implications for state economic and fiscal conditions. So I think I have a guess, but why 2021? What made that year so much worse than the preceding 10-year period? Well, you're probably thinking about COVID. Right. Um, So the issue is that our data from the Census Bureau does not break down, you know, deaths from COVID or from other reasons. So we can't really pinpoint that. But what you might find interesting, though, is that New York actually had a positive natural increase over the year, which means that there were more babies born than people who died in New York in 2021. So that really brings the point home that people are leaving New York to live elsewhere. And that was the major driver behind population loss in New York in 2021. But Pew found that New York was not the only state that lost residents to out-migration in 2021. In fact, losses in 11 out of 17 states where population declined over the year were driven by people moving away. Where are people moving? Basically, the trend is consistent. So over in 2021 and the preceding decade, and even in two decades before then, People have been moving away from the Northeast and Midwest towards the Southern and Western states. Now, is it your understanding that 2021 represented uh, sort of a blip um, and things will even out? Or are you expecting these trends to continue? Well, it is difficult to say because our data is, you know, it's backward looking. These are not forecasts. It is possible that many of these, um, you know, issues that popped up in 2021 are temporary You know, like we've seen that um, there are 
specifically for New England states, Vermont, Connecticut, Maine, and New Hampshire, where population growth accelerated in 2021 when you compare it to the pace of growth over the decade. So it makes it makes you wonder why. Um, so we know that you know people from other sources. We know that you know many people during COVID were able to work remotely. Many of them moved out of big metropolitan areas towards smaller ones, maybe rural areas. So one of the explanations might be that these four New England states benefited from this trend. Is it going to last? I don't know. Uh, it's possible people will stay, but it's also possible people will go to their original states. It's um, call me again next year. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned uh, some unexpected growth in those New England states. What was the trend like in those states before 2021, though? Generally speaking, these states, population growth was slow in those states, but they were all growing. You know, there are only 14 states in the U.S. where population growth was faster in 2021 than over the preceding decade. And these four New England states are among them, and they're all in Northeast. So that's the interesting part, that it like counters the, the general trend. Lastly, are there certain things that states that are growing in population are doing differently than states that are losing population or seeing the population growth slow? Well, we don't, we don't know exactly. That's not what our data shows us. But if you compare... Um, two of our indicators. So if you compare population growth and state personal income, which is one of the measures of economic growth, we see that states that have been growing the fastest over the 10 years also rank at the top in terms of state personal income growth and states that are gaining population the slowest or even losing population also rank at the bottom in terms of economic growth. So this is sort of a chicken and egg question, like which one covers Mm -hmm. which one, and we don't have the answer for that. But we do see um, this, um, you know, these two trends going basically in the same direction. Joanna Birnica-Levistro is Pew Associate Manager and wrote this analysis. Joanna, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Of course, it's my pleasure. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2217. Or just listen at wamc.org. Or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.